morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad you're here. Well, we're going to end our series on grace today, and we're going to do it in the context of looking at a man who was involved in a building program in the Bible. So turn with me to the book of Zechariah. And um, those of you who are those of you who understand that Zechariah is in the Bible are really happy that it's on the screen because you don't know where in the Bible it is. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and generally speaking, this is not the book from which you do a Sunday morning sermon. Uh, Zechariah is a, is a book full full of visions and prophetic imagery and angels and horses and trees and pestilence and good news and it can be a little confusing and today my hope is I can make that which is difficult to understand a little bit more simple. Zechariah chapter 4, we're going to read the entire chapter 1 through 14. <clears throat> It says, Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep. He said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand of all gold with its bowl on top of it, and its seven lamps on it, with seven spouts belonging to each lamp, each of the lamps, which are on top of it. Also two olive trees by it one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side, verse 4. Then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me said, answered me and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Verse 8, also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised, verse 10, the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to, range to and fro throughout the earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? And I answered a second time and said to him, What are these two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes which empty the golden oil from themselves? So he answered me saying, Do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who's, who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. Father, help us as we study. A passage that is not easy to understand. And I don't know that I have it all, but I think I can help you a little today. Let me give you the background. Zechariah is one of the people who has come from the city of Babylon or the province of Babylon as an exiled Jew and returned to Jerusalem. 
he has come with a man named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel happens to be the governor now of Jerusalem. He led the first group of exiles from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem. How did they wind up in Babylon? Well, some 70 years almost earlier, Nebuchadnezzar had begun the captivity of, of Jerusalem. Somewhere between 609 and 605, he had begun to require that tribute or taxes be paid from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the Babylonian kingdom had ruled most of the Middle East. They had conquered Assyria, and now they were, all, they were ruling all the way from Assyria, which was to the north, uh, all the way in Babylon, which is what, what is now is, is Iraq, down to where Egypt is now. And so Israel had to pay tribute or taxes. Uh, they, they decided not to somewhere in the neighborhood of the 587 B.C. And Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged the city and destroyed it and took those people who he believed could be of benefit to Babylon back with him. Most of the poor he left, but those of intellect and business prowess and educators, they came back with him. For a period of 70 years, Babylon ruled the Middle East until the Medes and the Persians came and overthrew Babylon. Then a man named Darius came into power, who was Persian. And Darius told Zerubbabel, you can go back and now rebuild the temple. Go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Boy, the Jews were excited. It was a moment. They had probably been informed historically by Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah was a prophet during the days when Israel was still a contiguous nation, had, had sovereignty, and he was telling the people in the land of Judah, bad things are happening. Uh, Babylon's going to come, and because of our disobedience, they're going to they're beat us in battle, and it's going to be over. You, you better just submit now, or else a bunch of people are going to die. How many of you know that that probably didn't go over very well in Jerusalem? What are you doing? You're supposed to help us, you prophets, you. You're telling us all this bad stuff about what the enemy is going to do to us. Where's God in the midst of your prophecy? How can we be destroyed? We are his chosen people, you traitor, you. And they beat up Jeremiah and put him in prison. But the Lord of the Lord was that Babylon was going to rule for 70 years. And they were going to rule over Israel. And Israel, meaning Judah at that time, because the northern kingdom had been dispersed, Judah was going to be taken captive. And sure enough, the word of the Lord came to pass. But the key was 70 years Babylon would rule. So some folks were counting. And sure enough, right at the year, right at 70 years, in 535 B.C., from 605 B.C., 70 years were up, and Darius gives a decree, you may now go back. Oh, God's word does not fail. So Zerubbabel leads this contingency of people back to Jerusalem. And all of them are going back for one reason, to build God's house. We're not talking about just reconstruct the city, build the walls. That would happen 150 years later. The primary purpose of them being released from their captivity is to build God's house. The primary purpose of them being released from captivity was to build God's house. I'll make it real plain. Your primary purpose of being released from captivity and remaining on the planet is to build God's house. 
That's why he set you free, not just to get you to glory, but to do something great here by constructing something in which people could find health, safety, refuge, and be deployed out there to change the world. That's why, you, that's why you're free. It's not just for you to be healthy. It's not just for you to prosper. It's so that God might do something through you to build a little outpost of glory here on the planet. Folks desperately need to know how to live right. And the church is supposed to be the the, the best version of what heaven is to be. That's what the church is to be. Now, unfortunately, it hadn't been that. But that's the goal. We are to be a representation of glory. We're supposed to be a copy of that relationally with integrity and holiness and purity. Jesus said in in, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven, right here. And we are the people that are supposed to help him construct what that looks like so folk can get helped. There are so many people hurting out there and don't know where to go. They don't know how to live. They're destroying their own lives and messing up everybody else's in the process. Their kids, their spouses, their employers, their employees, they're destroying everything, and they don't even know what they are building they're going to destroy with their own hands because their sin is eating them alive. You have been called out from captivity to build his house. Now, Zerubbabel left in 535 B.C. Construction on the house began. But the people of the land had loyalties, not the Jews now. The people of the land that Babylon had, had brought in to cultivate the land and to make sure that it could provide some resource back to Babylon, those folk, they didn't appreciate this temple going up. And they got word back to Darius. And they began to persecute the people who were building. You can't do this. Who are you? What are you doing? They wrote back to Darius saying, you, you, you might not know, but these people, they worship one God, not many like us. And every time they have been in existence, they've been a thorn in the side to every other nation. And you don't want them to really erect this temple. Now, Darius, for the most part, ignored their, 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 their letters, but their persecute, perse- yeah, persecutorial efforts stopped the people from building. The people got scared because they were threatened by the people of the land. Persecution is a way of life for a Christian. If they did it to him, Jesus, they're going to do it to you. If they did it to him and you are like him, They're going to do it to you. So if they're not doing it to you, I'm, I, hey, I just read my Bible and tell you what it says. That's all I do. If they're not doing it to you, and Jesus said, the servant cannot be greater than the master, nor can the pupil be greater than the teacher. If they're doing it to him and they're not doing it to you, Persecution is a part of life. Now, we don't experience the kind of persecution that happened in the Bible normally. Nobody's going to throw us in jail in America for preaching the gospel, at least not yet. Not yet. 
But we experience the kind of persecution that comes to us that buffets our faith and dissuades us from doing the will of God. Relational persecution. The enemy tries to to, to really hit you in your marriage or hit you in your friendships. And now something has happened where it looks like betrayal has occurred and, and, and you don't trust anybody anymore. And the last thing you want to do is come to church and see that person so you don't come to church anymore. And then you begin to question whether God is really who he says he is because his people didn't do what they thought you thought they should do. And so now you're beginning to distance yourself not only from the church but from God himself. And you now are at, at best, at best paralyzed spiritually at worst, falling away. Things happen. Persecution may not take the same form as it did in Scripture, but the enemy is nonetheless behind many of the trials that you give into and don't press through. And you find yourself no better after the trial than when the trial came to you. Rather than more being made more in the image of Christ, you wind up confirming your own humanity as it is identifiable by Adam. Selfish, frustrated, angry, bitter, raging, questioning your faith and questioning God. These people stopped what they were doing, even though they had been called out for that very purpose. Persecution ought to be that which allows us a privilege of understanding at least we're doing something right. We're doing something, and if I die doing something right, better I die doing something right than live wrong. Better, better go this way. I'd rather go this way. Fifteen years they stopped. We're not talking about a week. Fifteen years they stopped. Then Zechariah comes on the scene. Zechariah had a contemporary named Haggai. It's the book right before Zechariah in the Bible. He and and, and Haggai and Zechariah got together, and they were a tandem of prophets that ministered to the people and, and encouraged them. Do this thing. This is why you came out. What are you doing? Haggai says, how is it that you have built your own house and live in paneled rooms when the house of God lies in ruins? How is it that you, you, put, you put money in your pockets, but it, they, your pockets have holes in it. It just drips right on out. Because you have not considered God's house, you need to now consider your ways. You came out for this purpose. Get it done. And Zechariah is helping in the process. Now, Haggai is much more of a prophet and not a seer. Zechariah is much more of a seer and not so much prophet, though both of them are prophets and both of them can see things. Long way around at the front door of explaining verse 1. Zechariah is there. His primary goal is to get this house built. He is there to encourage Zerubbabel, who is the one, the governor, who is to build the house of God. It's been 15 years. The people of God have become complacent. They've gotten used to just sacrificing on the altar and not worshiping in the house. This is just the way they, you know, you can get used to, to stuff not being right and just say that's, just the way it is. And somebody sometimes needs to come alongside it. That's not normal. The way y'all relate in marriage, that's not normal. The way you're parenting, that's not normal. The way you do your finances, that's not God's best. We need sometimes somebody to shake us up and say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's a higher way of doing life. 
Zechariah comes in and talks to him and says, this ought to be this way, not that way. And so he's, he's passionate about this building. And I want to talk to you on three things, three levels. One, the condition in which Zechariah was, what he saw, number two, and then what he heard, number three. His condition, what he saw, and what he heard. It says that the angel of the Lord came to him and aroused him, began to shake him as a man who was in a slumber, roused him as a man who needed to be awakened from a sleep. Now, how in the world can a prophet get in that situation? Especially when you look at the time frame of how God spoke to him. If you look in chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, only two and a half to three months has transpired. That's it. We're not talking about years. And from the second time God began to speak to him, the first time he spoke to him about how he was going to bring his people back in chapter 1, and he's going to reestablish the city. It's going to be beautiful. And he said in chapter 1, I will build my house. He said that in chapter 1. I will build my house. Then it says about two months later, the Lord came and spoke to him again and began to give him chapters, second half of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and is still speaking same time period in chapter 4. But it says that Zechariah needed to be roused. Do you know you can come into church and get used to the way things are? You don't come expecting. You come in a religious mode that's better than not coming at all. You come in a religious mode that's better than coming with your mind stayed on sin. But you come in a religious mode about the way you think things are going to happen and how God is going to speak to you. And you scripted it in such a way that you are dealt to, to the fact that he might want to do something new. Zechariah had a mindset that said, we need to get this building done. It's important for us to get this thing erected. But he was dull to what was more prioritized in God and less in his world. He was more concerned about the building. God was more concerned about what would come from the building. Listen, he had to be aroused. He had to be shaken, gotten up because he had become dull. And generally speaking, you don't want to come into a service, though as scripted as it needs to be, in order for us to do everything in an hour. And you come in, you realize, well, Pastor Brett going to sit on a stool, and he's going to preach in a bow tie, and he's going to start real soft at the beginning. Then he's going to get real loud in the middle. And Tiffany, they're going to sing one song that's kind of fast and a medium song. Then a slow song. We're going to get in the presence of God. Somebody's going to come up, give a transition. Then we're going to have an offering. And I realize all that stuff has to happen. I got it. We must administrate it so we can have the next group come in. Yet that does not absolve you from responsibility of getting up every Sunday morning, walking in here saying, God, I believe in you for something special today. Something special. The angel had to rouse a prophet. Now, because I've read my Bible some, I realize that when angels do things like this, it means that we aren't as sharp as we ought to be. If you look in the New Testament, the foremost apostles there were Peter and Paul. Peter was the first because he was with Jesus. Paul came 
about two and a half, three years later. But Paul became the foremost apostle with respect to theology. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God used him to expand the kingdom, especially to us Gentile people. Peter was primarily for the Jews, but he was instrumental in changing the Jewish mindset that was in Jerusalem to minister to Gentiles. But Paul was called to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. That's all of us. Paul was a man who, who understood something about captivity because he had, he had spent a good tenth of his ministry in it. He was in prison a lot. And when Paul got in prison, Paul was able to say as he wrote from prison to the, to the Ephesians, he said this, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. He didn't say a prisoner of Rome, though he was a prisoner of Rome. He said, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. And why would he say that? Because he realized this, that man had not imprisoned him, though man had imprisoned him. He was a prisoner of Almighty God, and wherever God had allowed him to be, wherever God had hemmed him in, that was an opportunity for him to minister to people that he would not have had the opportunity otherwise to minister to. Rome had not imprisoned the gospel in Paul's life. So when Paul got in prison, he started preaching to the guards. He said, this is my ministry now. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have dreamed of coming to prison on my own, but God put me here so I can touch people that I normally would not have had an opportunity to touch. So Paul gets in prison there in Philippi, and all of a sudden he's with Silas, and they begin praising in the middle of the night. Hymns are coming up, and they're in the bowels of the prison, not just a prison, but they are in the hole. It says they are in the inner prison. And praise is coming up. And, and, and when they're in prison, they're not just in prison. They're also shackled while they're in prison. And praise is coming out of their mouth. And people in the prison, other prisoners, have never heard this kind of stuff coming from there. And, and as they begin to praise, God, God gives an earthquake to the prison doors. And, 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 and the whole prison begins to shake, and the, and the prison doors open, open so, so that Paul and Silas can, can begin to get out because their shackles have fallen off too. And not only do, do Paul's prison doors open, but every prisoner's doors open. It's amazing what your praise will do. You just don't know. It'll not only set you free, it'll set others free. Now, if, if, if that was bread, if that was bread, and I had been in prison, first of all, I would have been praising to get out. Lord, I thank you. If that prison door had opened, it would have been an opportunity for Brett to hit it. Bounce in a hurry, Brett. Get out in a hurry. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you have set me free and answered my prayer. What does Paul do? He stays. And he invites every other prisoner into his cell. And he does a Bible study. The warden comes in, sees all the doors open, and he realizes the prisoners have escaped. That's in his mind. The, death, the, the penalty for letting your prisoner escape was death by fire at, at a stake being burned with your own clothes. So the, the warden realizes, I'm going to do myself a favor. He takes out his sword, beginning to take his own life. Paul says, stop, 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 don't do that. We are all here. Just about, we don't, we don't have the account, but everybody in the prison was ministered to. Probably got saved. And, and the jailer was so impacted, the warden, that he, he took Paul to his house. Because Paul had led him to the Lord right there in the prison. Took him to his house, saw all of his household saved and baptized that night. So we're talking about 2, 3 a.m. And, and the, if, if that isn't amazing enough that Paul didn't, didn't bounce after the doors were open, this is astounding to me. 
The next morning, we find Paul in prison. So what happened between the jailer and Paul in conversation and in the morning when Paul was in prison? Meaning Paul had been at the jailer's house that, that night, but he was back, back in prison. Something like this occurred. Um, Paul, listen, you've, you've really impacted me. You're an amazing human being. My life has been changed by you, and I don't even know how to say thank you, says the jailer. But, um, you know, if you don't go back to jail, <laughs> things won't, uh, like they won't, they, um, Paul said, not a problem. I'm happy to go back to jail. Now, none of you all have been incarcerated probably, but you have been in situations out of which you could not get. You found yourself as a prisoner of the Lord in your employ. In a marriage, you are less than happy with and you dream about what could be better you're in a in a in a neighborhood you don't like washington is very inhospitable you wish you could go back to kansas and i am one of those i click my heels like dorothy <laughs> i love kansas i love kansas but god won't let me go back i'm a prisoner of the lord here happy singing praise every day of my life Peter, a little bit different. Peter's in prison, and it says he was sleeping in Acts chapter 12. Sleeping. Sleeping. No ministry. No talking to God. The guards were on either side of him in the prison, right there with him in his cell on either side of him. And he was sleeping. It says an angel of the Lord came to Peter and struck him. Now, that's not the way you want angels to come to you. <laughs> struck him. Struck him. Didn't say, hey, shh, sweetie, get up, get up. No, 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 struck him. It was almost as if, dude, we put you in here to touch some folk, and you ain't done your job. Obviously, you're not very useful here, so let's go. And the angel of the Lord took Peter out, led him through, Doors open just like your automatic doors when you go in the grocery store. Gates open. He walked through. He went to the house of safety. Now, we rejoice, and everybody rejoiced that Peter was free. But Paul gives us a picture of what it could have been like. Sometimes when we need to be roused, it's because we were dull before. When we need to be struck by the angel of the Lord, if you will, it's because we missed something. I beg you, become more sensitive to the Spirit so that you don't need to be aroused, to be struck. Here, Zechariah was a prophet needing all that. So his condition wasn't what it should be because he was focused on something else. And here comes this vision. The angel says, what do you see? He says, I see this candle thing with seven lamps coming from it and a bowl and two trees and spouts coming from the trees and and, and spouts coming from the bowl to the seven branches and fire and land. He said, this is a what, what, what is this thing? And the angel says, don't you know? Now, every other vision up to this point that the angel has given Zechariah, Zechariah asked the question, what was this? And the angel said, let me tell you. But this is the only time when the angel says to him, don't you know? Which meant 
you're thinking about the wrong thing. You ought to know this. And, and there's, stuff, there's some stuff you ought to know. You ought to know that immorality is wrong. You shouldn't have to ask somebody, should I sleep with them? Should I sleep with them? The angel doesn't even answer his question. He says, what is this? Is the picture up there of what, what that thing looks like, what the tree looks like? Is it up there yet? Somebody talk to me. I don't want to look backwards. It was. Put it back up. What is this? The angel doesn't even answer his question. He just says, okay, I know what you're concentrating on. Let me tell you, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm going to build this house. What are you, O mountain? Meaning difficulty of building this house. I'll make you a plain before Zerubbabel. And he will put the capstone on the building, shouting grace, grace to it. It's going to be an easy thing. God's going to do the building, Zechariah. That's going to happen. But there's other stuff I want you to concentrate on. Why don't you understand this vision? This is what you need to be concentrating on. And everything about the vision was what was to flow from the house, not just what the house was supposed to be. And we know that to be true because it says at the very end of the chapter that the two trees, when Zechariah asks, what are these? He says, these are the two witnesses that stand before the Lord of the whole earth. And those two witnesses were two people in in Jerusalem at the time, we believe. One, Joshua, who happened to be the high priest, and the other, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel did the administration for the entire city and how life was to flow sociologically. Joshua was to do the administration for the house and what was to flow from the house. That city needed both in order to be well. And these two trees allowed for the anointing that was on both of these men to flow in such a way that it was pipelined administratively into whatever seven branches of lights look like. Now, I have no idea why it was seven. No clue. And I don't know that anybody does. But I do know this, that there is a vision God has given the leadership of this house And we flow it through administrative pipelines. And when we understand that people need help in their marriage, we say, let there be a lamp in our love and respect class. When we understand that children need to be more than just cared for, but educated according to the will of God, we say, let there be an administrative pipe that flows with a lamp of illumination to our kids every Sunday morning. When we understand the youth needs something more than just video games on a regular basis, we say let there be oil that flows from our leadership through a pipeline of administration that allows for a dynamic youth ministry where kids can get right with God. Light will shed a bar, shed, shed, light will dispel the darkness. That's what this was supposed to be for Jerusalem. And the danger of doing a building. The danger is that everything revolves around the building. Your whole focus is about putting one brick upon another. And that's all Zacharias was. I don't fault him for having an emphasis like that. But missing what the building was for, that's what the angel wasn't happy about. I'm more happy about what needs to come from the building than the God's going to do the building. And God's going to do our building. He's going to do it. He's going to privilege you to be a part of it, but he's going to do this. Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. He's going to do this thing. It's going to happen. We're going to have a beautiful facility over there that's going to care for many, many people. But what is going to come from it? We need you to be one of those little lamps. I hope we don't just have seven. 
I hope we have like 5,000. Wherever you are, you become a little lamp of the inspiration that flows from this house to your community. Are you listening to me? As I close, what do you hear? He still didn't get it. The angel hadn't explained what the lamp is yet. He hadn't explained, like I did, what the trees are. And so Zechariah goes back and he says, um, what, 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 what are these trees? And when, when the angel is carrying on conversation, and there seems to be a flow, and then he stops even when you ask a question, he's not happy. He doesn't answer Zechariah's question. What are these two trees? Silence. And so Zechariah says, <clears throat> uh, what are these two trees? He asks the same question again. What, what are the two trees with the oil that flows? And he talks to him. He says, okay, these are the two witnesses. But it's important for us to understand that Zechariah, as great of a prophet as he was, was still a little dull. And we can learn from his experience. Oh, I'll probably be looking at the back of his head in glory, how close he is to the throne. So I'm not trying to be critical, but just observant. Understanding, God, I don't ever want you to have to come to me with my focus on the wrong thing. Though as much as I want this building, I want the church to be built. I want you to be built. I want ministry to flow from you that doesn't have a stop. The oil just keeps coming, and the lamp never goes out. And anybody who is around you winds up illuminated. Their darkness goes, and light comes to their path. That's the way it ought to be on a regular basis. Let's pray I have to finish. Father in heaven, thank you. Help us as a people to understand something from this passage so that we can live for you. And honor you. Help us to understand something from Zachariah's experience. In Jesus' name.